Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Romans chapter 14. We have this week and then next week, and we'll be done with the book of Romans after about 26, 27 weeks. Romans chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, I always remind you this, we'd love for you to have a Bible. Uh, how, many of you, how many of you just pull up on your phone? Raise your hand. Yeah, how many of you pull up on the leather? Did you notice the people who use your phones, did you know that's actually, those are actually the more spiritual people? Did you know this? <laughs> that it says in the Bible that the, that the words were given to Moses and he wrote them on a, on a tablet. <laughs> where's, my, where's my drummer when I, yeah. So anyway, if you don't have one, uh, listen, you don't have to go purchase one. You don't have to go buy them. They're, they're in the lobby. They're on high-top tables. We have them in Spanish and we have them in English, so just make sure you get the one that works for you. All right? If you have the, let's stand to our feet. We'll read this together. We always tell visitors we won't up down the whole morning, but in our primary passage, we stand when we read this because it's a recognition for us that this is God speaking to us, and specifically, I believe, he's speaking to a room full of people in Bloomington, Minnesota this morning. I'm starting in verse 1. And it says this, accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do. For God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. Verse 5, in the same way, some think one day is more holy than another, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. And those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Verse 9, Christ died and rose again for this very purpose to be Lord of both the living and the dead. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. God, we just come to worship you, but now we come expectantly to hear what does the God of creation have to say to us this morning? And I pray you'll make it obvious, Holy Spirit, would you just do what I could never possibly do? Would you say things and would you just exceed any, any form of comprehension, Holy Spirit, that you would just exceed that and did you give us true understanding? God, do this all in a way that just draws us to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. All right, pop quiz. Ready? Pop quiz. As soon as you know what this is, just scream it out. Scream it out. What is it? It's not no greasy burger. That's a Big Mac. That's a Big Mac right there. Invented. Night. 1967. And some of y'all love these things, right? But the question is, what is it that makes the Big Mac so good? That's what I'm talking about right there. Get some of that. Some of that right there. 
I don't actually, I don't actually, I don't even eat Big Macs anymore. I mean, I used to, and then I came to Jesus, but Big Macs are, right? And so what makes the Big Mac such a big deal, believe it or not, is the special sauce. Did you notice Big Mac's McDonald's was invented, or founded long ago, but the Big Mac came out about 1967, and the Big Mac is what took McDonald's to the next level. They were competing with the, 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 the restaurant Big Boy, and they had the Big Boy sandwich, you know, Big Boy sandwiches. And the Big Mac came out and, and exceeded that, and it, and it kind of launched McDonald's. And what makes the Big Mac such a big deal is the special sauce. And those of you who are my age, you remember the commercials because we always used to sing it. Come on, here we go. Two all beef patties, lettuce, cheese, pickles, right? It's the special sauce, but we can't memorize Bible verses anyway, but, but I'm just saying, right? But it's the special sauce. And it became so iconic that special sauce is now actually a phrase. And it's used, and we talk about it. And if you talk to different places, they'll tell you this, that the secret sauce is an element, it's a quality, it's an ability or a practice that makes something or someone successful or distinctive. That's what special sauce does. It's, it's that thing, it's that quality, it's that practice. It, it makes them more successful, right? And so, for instance, if you talk to places like Amazon, Amazon will tell you, they'll say, they use the phrase, this is our secret sauce. And they think it's their uncanny ability to focus on the consumer, not the competitor. They will tell you that. Now, they have all kinds of things going for them, but they say, that's our special sauce. We focus on the consumer. If you talk to a company like Walmart, Walmart says, yeah, 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 we have low prices. We have low prices. Walmart says in their corporate documents that their special sauce has been their innovation journey. That Sam Walton was like side by side walking with the founders of IBM and they were all into innovation. That's what they did, right? If you go Costco, Costco will tell you that it's, believe it or not, Costco says one of the, now they have all kinds of different things. They say one of their secret sauces is membership. That it gives folks an exclusive feeling because they are, members, right? And that because they have a membership there, they're more loyal to shop there because they've paid for a membership. All right, those places all have a, a secret sauce. Here's my question. What's ours? What's our secret sauce? Like, is there, is there for the church, for the church? My question is this. What's the element, the quality, the ability, the practice that can make the church more successful or more distinctive? Because when we say successful, we, we don't mean it in the same terms as the world. But I would say this, I want the church to be more successful. Our church is all about this. I believe every church is. I don't believe pastors get to determine the mission of a church. The mission was laid out in the scripture. Make disciples. Now, you say it any way you want, it's still making disciples. We say, if you're new here, we say, leading people, Pastor Vicki said it, leading people from where they are to where God wants them to be. That's what we want to do. I would like to be more successful at that. I'm hoping I'm not the only one in the building who wants us to be more successful. I'm hoping that we want to make more disciples, more effective disciples, more successful disciples in that regard. And so the question I have is, what's that element? What is it? Okay, interesting. That's exactly what Paul is going to talk about today. He's going to talk about the secret sauce. Is there a secret sauce? Paul believes there is. He's going to tell us, what's the secret sauce? And I'm saying if we're the family of God, if we're the church of God, if we're the people of God, we need to pay attention. We need to know what the secret sauce is. All right, so look in your Bibles. Here's chapter 14, verse 1. He says, accept other believers who are weak in faith 
And don't argue, don't argue. Let me just say that again. Everybody say argue. Okay, now say don't argue. Okay, don't argue with them, just people who are in weaker faith, regarding what they think is right or wrong. Now, the phrase here that's very, very important is what they think is right or wrong, right? He's not talking here about those indisputable things of the church because there are indisputable things. A number of years ago, we did a series here called To Die For, and I lay it out like this. This is my real belief. There are three concentric circles. The inner circle are the things that we will die for. These are things I will die for. I will fight you over this. We're going to get into it. We're fixing to, we're fixing to have it out over these certain things. There's very few. And there are the things in the circle that are a little further out. And I'm like, these are the things we'll, 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 we'll discuss. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about these. Right? And then we go even further out. And it's like, oh, okay. I mean, the middle circle is defend. These are things we'll defend. We'll defend these things. We're not going to fight you. And then there are things that we will discuss. He's talking here. In fact, I think the best translation uh, you'll see, he says, Got it, just making sure it works. These are the things that we would say as the church are indisputable. These things we will fight you over. These are those things. Number one, there is one true God. There is one God. There is one God. It's not like, hey, there's this God. Hey, which God do you serve? Hey, there's this God over here. There's not. There is one God, and we believe that. We believe he's a triune God. We think the scriptures lay that out very clearly. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father is God. Jesus, the Son, was God, is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But there is one God. We believe it's indisputable, the deity of Christ. Jesus Christ is God. That's exactly what we believe. Do we think he was a teacher? Sure. Do we think he was a rabbi? Sure. Do we think he was a prophet? Sure. Above all that, he was God. And so if you're here today and you say, well, I believe he was a good teacher, I'm like, that's not what we believe. We can talk about it, but at this church, we believe Jesus Christ is God. We believe in the authority of the scriptures. We believe that, that, that these, these weren't, this wasn't, I always say, this wasn't a book written by some good fellows. This is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so if the scripture says this, we adhere to it, whether we like it or not, whether it offends me or not, whether it bothers me or not, whether it, make, it makes my life difficult or not, because the author, scriptures have authority. And then the last thing we believe that's indisputable, according to the scriptures, is salvation is by the grace of God through faith in Christ, period. There is no other way to the Father. You can't good work your way into heaven. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't get smart enough. In, you can't be born into the right family. It's salvation by the grace of God through faith in Christ alone. Now, there are some disputable matters that the church has always been arguing over. We've, we've argued over these things forever. There's all kinds of disputable matters. Hey, Sean, can you just help me out a little bit? Yeah, these are the disputables. Number one, baptism. Now, we just, had the, we just had the video. We absolutely believe that baptism is for a believer. We know there are a lot of you folks that have been baptized as infants. Kim and I, I always say this. We were baptized as infants. DK, you were probably baptized as an infant. And then once we came to Christ, we made a decision to get baptized. So these are, they're disputable, though. Salvation doesn't depend on this. You can't get, you can't get baptized into salvation. We believe, I believe the translations of the Bible... Translations of the Bible are, are disputable, right? We use the New Living Translation. Some of you folks like your, your New American Standard. You like your NIV, and, and people just get into this, and they argue about the translations of the Bible. I took a group of high school kids to Kentucky. We were, we were thick into the Appalachians, and we were doing a vacation Bible school every day there. We took kids there for a week. And, uh, uh, and I, I think I told you this before. Some of you weren't here, but... But uh, I took some kids, we just walked into the town. 
We just walked into town this morning. I took two or three guys with me, and we walked into the town. There was this little Christian bookstore. We're like, right on, a Christian bookstore. Let's walk in. And we walk in, and this lady's like, hey, good to meet y'all. Come on in, come on in. Can I help you? And I said, oh, we're just in town for a week. And she said, oh, you're the folks who put on the Bible school. We said, yeah, yeah, yeah. She goes, that's great. Go ahead, look around the shop. And she starts, she's just chatting away with us, right? And all of a sudden, there's a little bell on the door, and it's like, ding, ding, and somebody walked in. And she goes, oh, I need to help this gal. I'm like, yeah, 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 we're, we're doing nothing. Just go ahead and talk to her. And I can hear the conversation. And she's like, ma'am, can I help you? And she says, I need a new Bible. And she says, oh, we have a number of different Bibles, ma'am. Which one do you want? She says, uh-uh, you give me that Bible Jesus carried. You give me that King James. I'm like, is that the one Jesus carried? Okay, that's interesting. I didn't know that, right? And they will fight you over Bible translations. We're not going to do that. That's a disputable matter. We won't fight you over that. Are you a Calvinist? Are you a Minion? Most of you don't even know what that means, and you don't care. Are you pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? Most of you don't know what that means, but Christian folks fight about this stuff all the time, and these are really disputable matters, right? Now, I would also say that going today in the church are the other disputables, and these are things that are a little more, like drinking. Should you drink? Should you not? Should a Christian drink? Should they not? I'll just be honest with you. I grew up in a home. My father came home every night from work, came home at 5 o'clock, sat down at the table, had one beer. Now, I've never seen my father drunk. Never. Had one beer. When he got done, now it's time for dinner. I, I never saw it as this great evil. I've never seen my father drunk, ever. The Bible doesn't say it's a sin to drink. And sometimes as Christians, now we can all agree, yes, it's wrong to be drunk, everybody. Right? But, but when Christians fight over this stuff, I don't think it's appropriate. What about dancing? Listen to me. I've seen some Christians dance. Christians shouldn't dance. Let me just say that, okay? That, that shouldn't happen. Okay, what about smoking? What about smoking? I've had people tell, oh, that's smoking. That, you know what I'm talking about, O'Neill. You always tell me that, right? What about smoking? Right? Some people, I have people, I've literally had people just say, oh, that smoking is such a sin. I'm like, where does it say that in the Bible? Now, I've never smoked. I don't care for smoke. But I had a guy telling me that one time and, and just going on and on and on. I'm like, Oh, that's funny, because you don't seem to be offended by obesity. We don't preach much about gluttony. If I preach about gluttony, we got to empty the church, right? But we'll rip on smoking. What about movies? Oh, did you all go to a movie? Oh, you can't go to a movie. And what, what, what's the limit? Can you just go to G? Can you go to PG-13, right? These are the things that they fight over. Music. I grew up in an era in the church where all of a sudden there were some brothers and they were teaching all this. And man, folks are burning records and they're burning albums. And you, can, and you know that every, every record, when you spin them backwards, they all say demonic things. You know that, right? You all, right? I'm like, what? Like, that's, a, that's with every piece of music. That's ever, and I've heard some that's Christian music. It just doesn't seem real godly to me. Right? Like, so, we've, tattoos. Oh, you just got fired, brother. You just got fired. Everybody in favor. Nobody raised their hand. That's crazy. Tattoos. This is another one to me, I think, in more recent years, voting. Because we all know. Now, just pick up your feet. I step on everybody's toes. We all know Jesus was Republican. Don't we know that? Don't we all know that? Jesus ran for the Republican Party, everybody. And here's why I think it's so ridiculous. Name me a political party that has all the biblical answers. Name me one. Now, here's what I expect. I expect that you have political convictions. That's great. Don't you dare bring that argument into this church. Don't you dare bring that argument into the body of Christ. These are disputable matters. These are disputable matters. We're just not going to go there. Now, watch. Here's what Paul said again. Remember this? 
He started out, accept other believers. Now, I just want you to note this phrase, circle it, and then go home and, and do a little work on this later. Paul says, accept believers who are weak in faith. You want to know what's really interesting about this conversation that Paul's having? If you read a little bit more of it, you know what the context is? What Paul would tell you, the weaker in faith are the people who get hung up on all these rules. That's very interesting. The people who want us to believe that they're so religious and so spiritual because they keep the rules, Paul actually says those are the brothers and sisters of weaker faith. Now, I'm all for having convictions, but the brothers and sisters who bring that nonsense into the body of Christ and want to fight over it, Paul would actually suggest they're the ones in weaker faith. And he says, don't argue with them about what they believe. For instance, now listen, He's going to go on and he's going to give us a couple examples. So what we're going to see are a couple of the cultural issues at work in Paul's days where he's telling them, you all think this is a big deal. Stop it. Stop arguing. Before I get to that, remember this. He's writing to the church in Rome, and the church in Rome is built up of both Gentiles. just means non-Jews. They're non-Jews and they're Jews. Think about that now. People have been raised in Jewish heritage, Jewish faith. Been, you got both sides. So he says this. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another people, uh, believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. This is not talking about vegetarian or not. This is actually talking about would you eat meat or not, not as a vegetarian principle. He's saying the reason that you wouldn't eat meat is for two reasons in that day, in, the, in that culture. One is that you were very concerned that there was meat that you picked up at the market, and before you bought at the market, that meat had actually been sacrificed to an idol, and now you bought it and ate it. And the Jews were just so, so opposed to that, and that would be a hard one for me. I mean, that, that, that might be one of those conscience issues, and Paul's saying it's not indisputable. This is not a salvation matter. And some folks would say, it's all good. It's all good. Let's just have at it. The other issue that they were worried about was, is the meat kosher? Has it really been prepared according to Jewish law and a Jewish tradition? So Paul's saying, I got these two people. Some say, you can't eat meat for those reasons. And some say, you can eat meat. It's not a big deal. And then Paul goes on to say this. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. Stop it. Stop doing it. Just because you're liberated, you can eat anything. You can't look at folks who won't and, and, and think they're a terrible person. And conversely, those who don't eat certain foods, those who feel a strong conviction about those foods, must not condemn those who do. For God has accepted them. And the idea, he's accepted them both. These are not indisputable matters. These are the disputables. This is not whether there's one God. This is not how does salvation occur. It's not any of that, right? And then Paul goes on later in about verse 5, and he says, in the same way. Now, he's just going to give you another cultural example for them. One is whether you eat meat or not. The other is some think one day is more holy than another. Stop. Remember this. Writing to a Jewish audience. We know how Jews feel about the Sabbath. We know how they feel about the Sabbath. Others think every day is alike. That's how the Gentiles were. I had a friend who was going to a particular, uh, I won't call it a denomination, he was going to a particular church, and they held very strongly to that, and we were talking about it one time, and he said, well, you know, the Sabbath was, was really originally Saturday. I was like, no, you're 100% right. What's your point? Like, both days are acceptable. That's what he's saying. And then he says this, he continues, and he says, you should each... Whether you observe that day or not, be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Look, I know churches that meet on Saturday night. I know churches that have church on Monday night. That's their service. The main thing is that we worship. And then Paul goes on and he says, 
So then, now this is verse 19. Go all the way down to verse 19 in your Bible. Because you kind of ask, well, what's Paul getting at? Here's what he's getting at after all the discussion. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church. And let us try to build each other up. That's our aim. Our aim is not how spiritual anybody is in here. Our aim is not how many good rules you can follow. Now, just, just indulge me for a second, because I want to look at these two words. This is harmony. And harmony is the Greek word irene, and it means this. It's a peace or a wholeness. It's oftentimes translated harmony. It's translated as peace. But it's when all essential parts are joined together. Now, just envision this with me for a second. Take a great automobile. I mean, maybe you're really into cars, and you're into cars with an engine, like it's a Ferrari or something like that, right? Just think about when you get all the right pieces of that engine together. And think what it does. And think how efficient it is. And think at how fast it goes. He's telling us that we should be aiming for that as a church. He's telling believers in Christ, you should be aiming for that. You, 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 church, you should be aiming to run, man, like a Ferrari. That, that's what we should really want. And then further, I want to look at the other phrase that he used there, because the other phrase was, he, many ter- your translations would say edify, edification, it's that. And it, it, ours is build each other up. It's the Greek word, oikodome, and it's, it's literally translated as edification. But now think about this. Just get a load of this for a second. This is what Paul is telling us we should aim for. It's the act of building which, when that's met, we build each other up so that when we've done that, when we do effect, it leads to, everybody say this with me, spiritual advancement. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we want? Don't we want the church to just be like, boom, Ferrari, just zoom, like we're effective. We're, we're impacting the kingdom. The kingdom is expanding because of what we're doing. People are, are just engaged as disciples. They're, they're disciples of Christ. Isn't that what we want? There's a great saying in the church, and I really have an appreciation. In essentials, unity, the indisputables. We have to have unity on those things. In non-essentials, you have a drink, you go to a movie, right? We're going we're gonna to allow for some liberty there. And in all things, in all things, whether we can ever agree or not, there's, there's just going to be charity. We're just going to give some folks some space. And so you read all that, and that's great, Paul, that's great, Paul, that's great, Paul. What is it you really want? I would ask this question. What's the big deal? What's the big deal about this unity? Why is harmony? Why is peace? Why is edification? Why is building each other up? Why is this such a big deal? When you're reading the book of John in chapter 13 and 14, Jesus is starting to just, it's getting nitty-gritty with the disciples, and he's laying it all out for them. And he's starting to tell them about, I'm going. I'm not going to be here for long. I won't be here forever. I'm going to be on my way out. And he's starting to tell them some really heavy things. And then he gets to chapter 17 in John, and he starts a prayer. It's a very famous prayer. Jesus is praying to the Father. Think about that. Jesus took time to pray. Hmm, interesting. And so he's praying to the Father now. Well, here's Jesus' prayer as he's, as he's praying. He says, I'm praying, God, not only for these disciples, his disciples, the disciples that are right there. This is such a cool thought. You, you just got to catch this for a minute. He says, I'm also praying for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Now, for you and I, how is it that we came to know Christ? Through the message of who? Those disciples. The ones that Jesus was praying for. You understand what I'm saying? We came because of the apostles' writings, because of their teachings. And so what he says is, he's praying also for all who will ever believe through their message. Right here, right now, in this passage, in John 17, put your name in there. Jesus is praying for you. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, he's praying for you. I believe Jesus is praying for a room full of people who are going to meet in late August in Bloomington, Minnesota, and Jesus is praying for us right now. This is Jesus praying for us. And then he says this. I pray that there'll be one. Oh, wait a minute. This is, this is what Jesus is praying for right now, for unity. And I'm praying for one, not just any old unity, just as you and I, Father, just in the same way that we're one, the triune God, which we can't even wrap our brains around because God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they're one. He says, that's how I'm praying that one. As you are in me, Father, and I'm in you. Would they be in us like that? Would they have unity like that? So that. Okay, so just as soon as he says so that, now, now perk up. Because he's about to give us the why. Remember Simon Sinek wrote a book 20 years ago at least called Always Start With Why? The why is the most important thing. Why is unity? Why would Jesus take time out of his day to pray for people in Bloomington in another 2,000 years so that we'd have unity? Why was that important to him? Why is it important that we build each other up? Why is that important that we run like a well-oiled machine as a church? Why is this such a big deal? He's about to tell us. Lean in, and he says this. So that the world will believe that you sent me. God. Would you give the people in Bloomington the secret sauce? Would you give them that? Would you give them unity? Because God, I know you want to expand your kingdom. I'm here to die in a short period of time so that people will come to know Jesus, so that they'll come to have faith in me. God, would you give them the secret sauce? Would you give them peace? Would you give them unity? Would you help them to build each other up? Because that's what's going to help people believe that you sent me, that I'm the Messiah, that I'm the Savior, that I was indeed God. That's what it's going to be. It's not going to be what kind of buildings you build. It's not even going to be what kind of programs necessarily you run. It's going to be, do you all have unity, yes or no? And some of you are visiting here today. And some of you, you, you would say, Neil, I'm not a follower of Christ. And you're watching. They're checking us out. You're watching. Help me out. If that's you, man, you would agree with me. I'm watching. I'm trying to see how things go in here. And I'm trying to see how they get along. And part of it's just going to flat out be our unity. Do we have unity? Do we, do, we, do we join together like this? Man, in the indisputables, in the indisputables, do we have unity? And then when we have things that are kind of disputable, do we give each other a little room? Do we give each other some grace on how we vote? Do we give each other some grace on, on like, did, did you have a drink? Are you a smoker? Do, do we give some folks some, some, some space on some of those things? And then this isn't every translation. It's my translation where Jesus just said, man, God, would they be one as we were so that the world will know that you sent me? That's my translation, man. Mic drop, done. Jesus, boom, I'm out. That's what Jesus said. Because this is it. Because this is it. It's about your unity. You folks have got to be one. We have got to be one. On the indisputables, we've got to be one. When they're disputable matters, we've got to give grace. We've got to allow some space. We're going to make some, some allowance for some folks. Not on the disputables. Uh, not on the indisputables. Not on the indisputables. And, and one of those indisputables, remember, is the authority of the Scripture. So if all of a sudden you're going, oh, I just think this. The, the Scriptures are completely contradicting that. Don't tell me that. That is not true. 
you all know we live in a crazy day where truth is whatever you think it is. I'm like, nope, there's an absolute truth. The scriptures tell us about it. That is true stuff, right? And so I want you to just think about that for a minute. And I want to give you the big so what. And I want, I want you to just, right? This is our one thought I want you to leave with today. Our unity is the secret sauce for a world that's loved but lost. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. How are they going to believe our unity? Now, if you're somebody here and you say, hey, I'm not a follower of Christ, or you call me lost, hey, we don't mean that in an offensive way. Jesus talked about us all that way before we came to faith in Christ. He talked about a lost coin. He talked about a lost sheep. He talked about a lost son that then came to Christ. It's not a derogatory term. I don't want you to take that derogatory at all. But that's what our unity is. That's our secret sauce. Our secret sauce is our unity. It's our unity. It's our unity. Now, I want to leave you with a couple word pictures today because I want, I want this to soak in. I want this to soak in. I want you to marinate on this. And so I'm going to leave you with some, some word pictures today before you leave. Here's my first one. Can we just be honest for a minute? We, 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 we didn't do very well. We didn't do very well over that. We fought over mask or no mask, and that became an indisputable. And this is what really mature Christians know how to do. I promise you this because I've done it myself. You can put a chapter and a verse on every issue. Well, you know, in first hesitations, it says... And you've always got a verse. We do this. I do this all the time. I do this all the time. We did such a bad job. We did such a bad job. It's okay. Let's just admit it and let's learn from it. We fought over mask. We fought over no mask. We fought over how close you get. We, we fought. Listen, if we're really honest, there's somebody here in this room and it's still split up your families. I think you got to go to prayer about that. I think you got to listen to the Holy Spirit about that. That kind of stuff, man, it can not only not split up the body of Christ, but it can't split up your family. You can't do it. You can't do it. I think, I think we should learn from it. Let's turn around from our past and let's learn from it. Let's just learn from it. Let's just get better. Let's just get better. Let's just be more determined. The next time, we're not going to allow that to divide the church. I promise you this, I think, I don't know, I think they're scheduling another election someday. It's always hard to tell when they're going to have it. I, I, I'm just guessing. That better not split this church. And if you think you'll let that split this church, you should leave today and don't come back. We're not having it. Because our mission is too important. Man, we're, we're not trying to sell stuff at Costco. We're, like, we're not trying to do that. We're trying to see lost people come to Jesus. We're not fighting over political candidates. Have a conviction. Get involved. I'm all for that. Don't hear me say that it's silliness and you should never be involved. Hear me say this. Have a conviction. Be involved. Don't bring it into the church. Don't give me a chapter and a verse. Okay, now, let me give you another picture. Well, and, and let me just say this, because I, I, I really do think we need to keep this in mind. We want spiritual advancement, not spiritual superiority. Too often times, we're more concerned about spiritual superiority. No, no, we don't, we don't need that. We want advancement. We want the kingdom to expand. We want people to come to know Christ. 
We want to see disciples, effective disciples made. Right? So I'll leave you with this word picture this morning. Y'all remember this? If you're my age, you do. February 22nd, 1980. It's the year I was born. Remember this? Listen to me. The disparity was so obvious. The Soviets had won three out of the four, last four Olympics, and they've won three in a row. And let me give you some statistics, because this stuff is interesting to me. First of all, they were mostly professional players in a day. This is, for those of you who weren't around them, professionals didn't go to the Olympics, and the, and the, and the Soviets kind of skirted around it. And so most of their players were professionals. The U.S. had a few players with a little bit of minor league experience. The Soviets were bronze medalists in 1960, and since that time in 1960 and the next four, they were 27-1-1 and in Olympic play. Never in a medal round. They never lost again in the medal round. They'd outscored their opponents 175 to 44 in those games. And against the U.S. in that period, they outscored them 28 to 7. I mean, they had the consensus best goalie in the world. They were so superior to, to a, an American team that was the youngest team in Olympic history. These were all some, some college guys. And here's what's really cool, because if you watch the movie, it's really fun. Herb Brooks, the coach for the Gophers, right? He had been a coach for the Gophers. He became the, 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 the head coach. And his, his, uh, his mindset was he was going to unify the team. Now, he unified them in that he became the bad guy. And they were all unified against him. And so at the beginning of the movie, he has them at their first practice, and they all walk out. And, and he says, I want you to introduce yourself. And the guy would step forward, and he'd say, I'm Mike Arruzzioni, and I play at Boston University. Another guy would step forward, and he'd say, I'm Jim Craig, and I play at Boston University. Another guy would step forward, and he'd say, I'm Neil Broughton, and I play at the University of Minnesota. That's the, that's the beginning of the movie. And he knew, man, his team did not have it. And what's so cool is, at the end of the movie, not at the end of the movie, but at the end, right before they go to the Olympics, they all, they're on the ice. And he says, step up and say your name. And they all skate to the front, and they say, I'm Mike Ruzioni, and I play for the USA. Or I'm Jim Craig, and I play for the USA. Or I'm Neil Broughton, and I play for the USA. And here's what they learned. The name on the front of the jersey is always more important than the name on the back. If you're a follower of Christ, you know what the front of your jersey says? Jesus. That's what your jersey says. It's not about the back. It's not about your name. It's not about you having spiritual superiority. It's not about you building a name for yourself. It's not about you being right. It's about the name of the front. And so that stuff that's disputable, psst, 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 we just put that to the back. We just put that to the back. It's going to all be about Jesus. And that's what people are going to say. One of the reasons that this just rings so true for me uh, this year we're going to do things a little bit different. And a lot of years what we usually do is right, right around the first of the year, just after the first of the year, we lay out the, kind of the vision for the next year. And we're doing that different this year. Because really our year is the school year. And so in just a few weeks we're going to start laying out what our vision is for this year. We're, we're, we're taking some things on this year. I, 
I don't know when the last time this church has taken on a vision like this. I don't, I don't know when the last... And so here's what I know. I know that the enemy's going to attack us. I know that the enemy wants to bring division. It can't happen. You're either with us... Man, there are a lot of good churches in the Twin Cities, folks, and there's a lot of good churches not far from here. And if you can't get on board and be with us, I would just say, man, God loves you. Jesus died for you. Go find one of those churches. Because we're headed in a very clear direction. We're about to go at it. And we got everybody on the same page. Why? Because we want people to come to know Jesus. That's what we really want. That's what we really want. It's our unity. It's our unity. It's our unity. Our unity is the secret sauce for a world that's loved but lost. I want to give you one last thing to think about. This is Paul writing to the Ephesian church. And he says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. And he says, bind yourselves together with peace. I'm asking you today, what, what's the effort that you're going to make? I'm asking you specifically. And I'm asking me specifically. What's the effort you're going to make? What effort? What are you going to do? What effort are you going to make to keep the peace, to keep unity on the indisputables? What are you going to do? What are you willing to do? If you're like me, I'll tell you what I'm having to work on all the time. Don't say it. Don't say anything right now. Just don't say anything. Just what? Like, someone's got to do that because some of you are wired like me. You're made like me. No, no, no. Psst, don't, don't say it. Just don't say it. We're not talking about the indisputables. We're talking about the other things. I'm asking you this morning, think about what are you willing to do? What will you do to make every effort to keep the peace so that people will know that the Father sent Jesus, that he is indeed the Savior of the world? Let's stand this morning. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Church, I love you. I appreciate you. And I love the fact that you just let me say some harsh things sometimes. But I do it because I love you, and I do it because I love the Father, and I do it because we want to see lost people come to Jesus.